This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Hello and thanks for downloading today's podcast. I'm Jamie Long. It's Wednesday, December the 22nd. And first today, a teenager who stole his granddad's Land Rover and crashed it into a pub near Ashford has avoided jail. To talk about this further, I'm joined by Kent Online's reporter Rhys Griffiths. And Rhys, tell us a little bit about what happened. Well, Jamie, this all goes back to July 4th last year and the Swan Inn in Little Chart near Ashford was like many pubs and restaurants getting ready to open for the first time after lockdown. But at around 2am that morning, a car ploughed into to the side of this historic pub causing huge amounts of damage to the structure of the building and meaning that the owners had to put off their plans to welcome punters back inside and instead rely on serving drinks outside in their garden. And since then, Reese, there's been some recent developments for the teenager involved in that crash, hasn't there? Well, Jamie, now, almost a year and a half after the accident itself, Taylor Peak, the teenager who was behind the wheel of the stolen Land Rover when it crashed into the pub, has been sentenced at Canterbury Crown Court. The judge told the 18-year-old, who was 17 at the time of the offence, that it is purely by chance that nobody was killed in the accident, which saw... £500,000 worth of damage caused to the pub itself. However, the landlord of the pub has uh, expressed dismay that really this is nothing more than a slap on the wrist after they were awarded only £1,000 in compensation for the damage done. Reese, thanks very much. And you can see pictures of that crash last year on the Kent Online website. Next, £20 million could be spent on bringing some seaside fund to Sheppey. The council has applied for a share of the government's levelling up fund to regenerate Sheerness Seafront. They want to rebuild the Sheppey Leisure Centre and swimming pool. And there are also plans for a -a five-a-side football pitch, bowling alley and crazy golf course. People living near a new housing development in Tenterden say they've had to put up with a sewage leak for months. At Kent Online, you can see a video of the wastewater running along Tilden Jill Road, close to where 100 homes have recently been built. Developers say they're working with Southern Water to figure out where it's coming from and are planning to upgrade the sewage system next year. Kent Online News. Latest figures show the number of COVID deaths in Kent has more than doubled in the space of a week. 32 were recorded in the seven days to December 10th, compared to 14 in the previous week. Infection rates have also gone up by nearly 40%, with more than 3,000 new cases recorded in the county yesterday. Meanwhile, the army's being called in to help increase COVID testing in parts of Kent. Dartford and Maidstone are getting extra support with new sites being set up in Waterslade, Tunbridge Wells and on the Isle of Sheppey. Well, yesterday, Boris Johnson confirmed there would be no further COVID restrictions before Christmas, but he hasn't ruled out taking action afterwards. And a Kent wine bar has told the Kent Online podcast they're concerned about their New Year plans. I've been speaking to Alexandra Lewis-Wortley from Valerie's Wine Bar in Ashford, who told me people seem to be nervous about going out. People are worried if, you know, if they're going out, does it, you know, how contagious is this variant? But also I think really what we don't know at the moment is 
how deadly is this variant? Um, I think it's one thing if it's super contagious like the cold, we can probably all deal with that. But if it's actually far more contagious and far more serious for us, it is, it's a fear. It's a big fear. Um, and of course, that's going to prevent people from wanting to go out. I, I sort of second guess myself. I'm going to go to a really busy bar. So I think, oh, actually, you know what? I, I can't risk getting COVID this close to, to Christmas time. I want to see my family. Sure. And obviously, you've got your New Year's Eve party and, and Christmas plans as well for the business. Tell me a little bit about, you know, the plans that need to go into that it must be quite tough when you've got people booking and then people cancelling and you need to place food and drink orders and, and like you say, musicians as well. Absolutely. So um, take Christmas Eve, for example, we had a DJ lined up um, to come over. We have extended our opening hours till 2am. This was all before we really knew what was going on with, with Omicron. We thought, well, brilliant, you know, our first actual Christmas bash. Um, let's make it a good one. Um, but since then, the DJ has pulled out, understandably, because it's really important that he spends time with his family. Um, you know, we decided we were not going to sell tickets for it because ticket sales just really aren't there at the moment for Christmas Eve because there's so much uncertainty and it's so close to, to the big day. Um, and so, yeah, that obviously then affects, you know, what staff can we have in? Um, you know, what are we going to you know, drink orders that we need to um, place? It, it really upsets um, all the planning that you put into something because you've got so many variables now. And we don't even know if we're allowed to be open for Christmas now or, or quite what's going on. Because it sounds like every every sort of um, day we, we're getting new rules, new regulations, new news. Um, and then really just multiply that for New Year's Eve. So New Year's Eve is a, is a party that you know, most bars we're planning months and months in advance. You need to get your entertainment in, you need to sell tickets, um, you need to organize your staff, you need to pay for decorations. So there's a huge amount um, that's going on behind that. You know, if it's not within your opening hours, you may need to apply for a tens. There's a lot of work that goes into these parties. The Kent Online Podcast with Ballin Maidstone. Next, there are calls for a crackdown on the abuse towards politicians in Kent. Councillors across the county say they're continuing to face horrific abuse from the public, including death threats both on the doorstep and online. While a wider conversation around the safety of elected officials follows the killing of Conservative MP Sir David Amos in October, Lib Dem councillor Hannah Perkin is among those who've been targeted. During the general election of 2019, we actually had arson threats against our property. Um, so the police reacted really amazingly, came out and blocked our letterbox up and put fire alarms and rape alarms in my house. Um, but it has been really scary. With me, it was very much kind of personal against my, uh, my lifestyle choices or the fact that, um, you know, I got rape threats, which were obviously quite gendered. Well, Seven Oaks Council have hidden the addresses of some of their members on its websites. It's after female councillors were being targeted and stalked. Here's Conservative councillor Claire Nelson. I think especially um, as a woman who puts themselves out there on broadcast, as we're doing at the moment, people will feel the need to tell you exactly what they think of you, but not for what you've said, more for what you look like, for the party you stand for. Uh, that's the abuse you get without actually listening to a word you've said. Clearly, it's not a, a one party issue. But do you ever feel that as a Conservative, potentially you being kind of the mouthpiece for the government and anything the government looks to introduce, you're kind of accountable for that and you feel the, the heat from that, if you like? Absolutely, you do. And a lot of the comments that I've had, uh, especially regarding parties, 
Uh, people want to know, well, were you there? What were you doing? Who else was there? You know, I may work in Westminster, but I don't work in number 10. I may be a conservative, but I'm not part of the government. I'm a local district councillor. I'm not responsible for, for what's happened. And if they'd asked my opinion, I would have told them that I thought it was wrong. But they don't go that far. They just assume because you're a conservative, you wear a blue rosette, you are just as bad as what is going on in, in Westminster. Meanwhile, Medway Labour councillor Sidju Adioy says she's also been targeted. For me, um, it was right from the 2019 campaign, to be honest, um, when we were out on the doorstep um, in some pockets of Medway where some people don't particularly uh, wanted, want to listen to me because of the colour of my skin. They had an opinion already. You know, as soon as you knock on the door, you get a vile, confrontational attitude, you know, and get off my property, you know. Some, to the extent that, you know, had stuff, you know, thrown at me, you know, uh, whilst knocking on the door, you know, and I, you know, politely and quietly remove myself. Um, sometimes I wonder whether it's because of the color of my skin. Sometimes I wonder whether it's the political party that I belong to because I know there were tensions around Brexit at the time. And I think it also escalated uh, for me personally when we had the Black Lives Matter uh, movement and people felt that they had a lot to say. Um, I was inundated with so many emails uh, and phone calls and text messages and I made sure you know, that I replied to every single one of them, no matter how rude, no matter how vile, because I thought it was an opportunity uh, for me to educate people and to get, at least get people to see the other side. I mean, the decision is yours at the end of the day. You know, but for you to see another side of the story, you know, there's danger in believing a single side of the, uh, of the story. And so it's been, it's been like that. I, I don't particularly have my address um, on the council's website. I did initially, but I took it off. So any um, mail correspondent has to be directed to the council and is then forwarded onto me. Emails I still get, um, I, 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 and I attend to all my emails and re respond and reply to all my emails, like I said before, you know, but I think it's important that people um, are educated. Same thing goes on social media as well, you know, when it comes to Twitter, Facebook, whenever I get um, comments that is really crossing the line, it's an instant block. I just block the person, full stop. I don't even engage in conversation. I don't engage in argument or anything like that. If you want to have a civil conversation, I'm up for that. If you want to have a proper debate, I'm up for that. You know, but when it crosses the line, it's instant block for me. And I think social media, you know, um, has to do better in terms of how it's being regulated. You know, I mean, my list goes on. A pregnant woman and young child are thought to be among a group of asylum seekers rescued in the channel this morning. Several small boats have been intercepted over the past few days as people risk their lives, making the dangerous journey in freezing temperatures. 82 were brought safely to Kent yesterday. The Home Office insists new laws will help tackle the issue. A Kent theatre has had to cancel more of its Christmas pantomime shows due to what it's described as the devastating effects of Covid. Cast and crew at the Hazlitt Theatre in Maidstone have been badly hit by the virus. Shows of Jack and the Beanstalk have now been called off until next Wednesday. 
Now, we're continuing our conversation with the Archbishop of Canterbury here on the Kent Online podcast this week. And Justin Welby says it'll be a difficult Christmas for families who are struggling financially because of the pandemic. Job losses and the rising cost of living may have left some unable to afford expensive presents and food this year. I do realise and grieve for those families who can't... It's not about wanting huge luxury. As a friend of mine put it, it'd just be nice not to have to be a bit short of everything. And that's really difficult to deal with. I think the measure of our society is how we do deal with it and that we show compassion, not patronising, oh, there, there, we'll make it all better, but alongsideness that we work with people. And for those families, I really mean you are as valuable as anyone else. There is no shame. There is need, there is sadness, there's disappointment that you can't give the things that you want and have the things you want. But you're not a failure. You're an enormously significant person. You know the old bog-off thing, buy one, get one free. Well, let's change it a bit and um, buy one, give one away. Be generous. There is no shame to poverty, to being short of money. It feels shaming. It isn't shaming. You are as valuable as any other human being on the planet. And if people want to help you, I know how difficult that is from years ago, but just be grateful that we belong to one another. And I was with some folk um, day before yesterday and, and the help they were giving others, I said to someone, why do you do this? And they said, oh, well, someone did it for me. That's great community stuff, isn't it? And a lot of the people I meet at food banks, and they are working their socks off, that a lot of the people I meet at food banks, uh, helpers were helped. And people coming along are people who've helped others in the past. And just don't give up on that. It's just really special. And Canterbury's pantomime dame has told the Kent Online podcast that there's still a place for the dame in today's society. Questions have been raised over whether it's still socially acceptable to have a straight man imitate LGBT culture on stage for comedy. We've been chatting to Ben Roddy, dame in Jack and the Beanstalk at the Marlow. I mean, I feel like the dame is a clown. That's how I play it. That, that, that a dame is a clown and not a... I don't really consider it drag. I consider it clowning. You know, there's plenty of wonderful drag artists who play dame uh, very successfully, but I think drag has its roots in a different place to uh, a panto dame has its roots sort of elsewhere. I mean, it's a, pre- it's a strong tradition. I mean, they very much come from the same place of subversive, of freedom of thought and opinion of like chaos and enjoyment and being who you are and embracing who you are. Having said that, I think it's vital that Panto evolves, you know, because it's just a reflection of society, really. We're not making fun of anyone. We are embracing the chaos and the fun and the absurdity of life, really. That's what I would I would say. And, uh, you know, Panto has been going in its current form for, you know, 150-odd years. 
Well, that's all for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. Don't forget that you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also subscribe to the ad-free premium version of the Kent Online website. Just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches.